Hello, Philip here. Before you get stuck into this week's episode with Howard Cohen and Andrea Hubert, I wanted to let you know there's a bit of a change. I'm not in it. Now, before this becomes the most Jewish thing that's happened to me this week with any of you, and by that I mostly mean my mother, worrying, everything's fine. Rachel and I haven't had artistic differences. We've not fallen out over pickles or the right way to cook chicken soup. I just had a slight mishap with my back, which meant I was taken to hospital and admitted with what I thought was enough pain for just one night, but actually turned out to be enough to last 11. So a totally on brand for 2020 Hanukkah miracle. Anyway, I'm finally back home and I can't wait to be back with you again next week. Now that's cleared up, it's on with the show. This episode of Jew Talking to Me was recorded under lockdown conditions. Russell, you ready for this? I am so jazzed, like you wouldn't believe. Hello, I'm Rachel Krieger. And I'm not Philip Simon. I'm stepping in Philip this week because he's done his back in. And as much as he's technically able to join the show from his hospital bed, I thought it better he rests up so he can be back with us as soon as possible. I'm Russell Balkind and normally I'm the producer of this show. We are two Jewish comedians, or in this case, one Jewish comedian and one Jewish producer. I'm an Orthodox Jew, so I went to a Jewish school. And I'm a liberal Jew. I went to a non-Jewish school, but played the Jewish card whenever I wanted to get out of religious assembly. This is the chat show that recreates the sensation of finding yourself on the miscellaneous table at your cousin Hannah's bat mitzvah. There's so much background noise that half the time you just end up nodding and smiling at the person right next to you. Each week we'll bring you two of our favourite Jews to chat about their lives and experiences growing up and how much Jewishness plays a part. Are they five books of Moses or Hebrew school doses? Welcome to Jew talking to me. Well done. How are you feeling? Great. I'm feeling good. So, Russell, what is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you this week? So I've got two kids and I'm very keen to be a good dad. And that means spending time doing crafts involving tiny, tiny pieces. This yeah. week it was, and I don't know if it has its own name like batik or beading or whatever, but it was putting tiny pieces of plastic on a pegboard and ironing them so they sort of stick together to make like a badge or a decoration. It's much more fun than it sounds. Yeah. And now my daughter made a heart, which was lovely. But with Hanukkah coming, I thought it'd be good to make a Hanukkah decoration. So we designed and made a dreidel sort of badge decoration thing. And like the funny thing was, like, the set was from Ikea. That's where we got it. Great way of sort of passing half an afternoon if you've got young kids. And it's called Piscola or something similar. And I'd always loved the name uh, Ikea, sort of Billy Bookcase and Antelope, the sort of um, high chair that everyone has. And I'd always assumed that it was Swedish. But when I was making the dreidel, I sort of started to begin to wonder whether the names were actually Yiddish. Piskula sounds exactly like the kind of unintelligible Yiddish words my Zayda's sisters used to use when they were baking, where these sort of, sort of brilliant Russian women who were brilliant at baking, but sort of really protective over their recipes. And so when you ask them how to make kichel or whatever it was, they would say, oh, it's easy. It's just a gribbener of flour and a geshmirt of butter. And, and so nobody could ever try and copy the recipe. But and then I thought, well, actually, it makes a lot of sense that Ikea's names are in Yiddish because what better language to use for a race of people who are famously bad at DIY than Yiddish? Yeah. Well, piskula actually means tiny little mouth in Yiddish. Really? Yeah, hilarious. And I imagine it was traditionally used in a sentence along the lines of shut your piskula and find the Allen key because that Billy bookcase won't 
won't build itself. <laughs> How about you, Rachel? What's the most Jewish thing that's happened to you this week? Well, it was a sort of Jewish mother dilemma, really. Anyone who's seen the photos or videos we post will know that I am a huge book collector. I'm always happy to lend people books and I often give people books even. But I rarely remember when I do and I read so much. We've got them all over the house. Sometimes I can't find them. So over the weekend, I was talking to my husband about two of my books that had disappeared. And one was what we talk about when we talk about Anne Frank, which is a collection of really dark and funny stories by a guy called Nathan Englander. And the other one was Look Who's Back, which is by Timur Vermes, which is the one where Hitler was cryogenically frozen and then defrosted in modern times. So I said to Mark, I've been searching high and low across the house for what we talk about when we talk about Anne Frank and that book about Hitler when he was cryogenically frozen. Can't find them anywhere. And then my teenage son shouted out, have you tried looking in the attic? Bravo. Absolute killer joke there. I thought it was amazing, but I also didn't know whether to tell him off for having such a sick sense of humour or to praise him for what was ultimately a really, really quick joke. I'd go number two, definitely. <laughs> go for pride there. Good okay, job. I'm going to excel and not just be ashamed. I think that's the right thing to do. Okay, now it's time to bring on our guests. Our first is a multi-award winning comedian, writer and occasional taxidermist. She does film writing for The Guardian Guide and comedy for TV. She's contributed sketches for BBC's Walk on the Wild Side and E4's Mad on Chelsea. It's Andrea Hubert. Andrea, hello! Hello, hello. hi! Thanks for having me. Very lovely to have you. Very much our pleasure. Great. We're honoured. <laughs> I too am honoured. God, this is so nice. Andrea, what kind of Jew are you? I had to think quite long and hard about how to answer this question because I have been different sorts of Jews all my life, from ashamed to hiding it to not really understanding what I was talking about. And I think I have evolved into massively unapologetic. I am an unapologetic Jew and I don't care how you feel about it, is what I am. Very powerful. I yeah, love it. So strong. And I just don't care. Like, I don't mean that I don't care about people's feelings, but we have to explain ourselves a lot. We have to sort of somehow justify how we feel about ourselves. I refuse to apologize. I, I have before. I never will again. So unapologetic, but also nice. If you don't like it, then we're not going to be friends. I love it. Good, that's good to know. <laughs> it good sounds that. like I just threw down a gauntlet. Like, no, no, no. And everyone's saying, it's okay, mate. We didn't want to be friends, but, <laughs> but um, that's okay too. I totally sympathise with that. Being a white British Jewish man of a certain age, but I've sort of been through exactly that journey in as much as there was a long time going to university. I was, didn't really want to talk about being Jewish. Then I thought, oh, maybe I should be really Jewish. I didn't really know what to do. Then I described myself. My stock line is to say I'm Jewish, which is a sort of catch-all way of, you know, covering everything that I am. And relatively recently, I've just become exactly the same as you. It's sort of like, deal with it. This is my... It's more just like, I know what people want. And I understand if we're, it was sort of, you know, take it to its logical conclusion, the discourse comes always about Israel. I know how I feel. I've done my research. I have a lot of knowledge on the subject. So if you want to argue, we can argue, but you will never persuade me. And I don't mean that I'm so, you know, addicted to my opinions. I'm talking about this particular thing, Judaism, Israel, Zionism, etc. I'll have a conversation with you, but you better know as much as I do. Because <laughs> otherwise, and I don't mean on any other subject, I'm not knowledgeable on any other subject, like maybe Buffy, but apart from that, nothing. <laughs> with the amount of people who want to talk about it to you with a preconceived idea of what they want to talk about, 
and they want you to get in line, they're going to be talking to the wrong person. Because I don't think anyone should have to get in line. And that's not just Jews. I think it's every minority who feels a certain way, does not have to lean towards self-loathing to fit in. Mm. And if that's what's happening, then there's a problem. And I think I've fallen into that category many times of not wanting to make a fuss. I've, I've accepted all sorts of nonsense at parties to avoid being the person who ruins the party. And I don't do that anymore and I have ruined parties <laughs> over what somebody else considered a casual comment and I considered anti-semitic and don't get me wrong I'm not looking for anti-semitism I really don't have to. don't have to no but what I mean is I recently had a conversation with a friend the friend in question who is a good friend who I dearly love they made a nose joke it was at a party and I knew that if I mentioned something it would ruin the atmosphere so I decided to keep quiet and wait till they did it again I knew they would he did it again when it was just the two of us and he said something about money so first it was nose a second it was money and I explained to him about money I said I'm going to stop you there and I understand that you don't actually want a lecture but this is important to me so I'm going to explain to you where the money stereotype comes from and I explained to him about the times when Jews couldn't have other jobs and why we are associated with money and he goes oh I didn't know and I said look I'm not going to tell you what to do but now you have the information if you do it again that's on you and I think that's my duty I don't think everybody has to think it's their duty I think it's mine Keith Khan Harris, he's an educator and speaker. He gave an amazing talk, and I think has written quite a lot of interesting articles about the idea of being the right kind of Jew. That in oh God, yeah. Britain today, there's yeah. like the acceptable kind of Jew that people like who has to have certain kind of opinions. And if you're not the right kind of Jew, what does that make you? It's really fascinating. It makes you someone who doesn't care about people dying. There's no subtlety with that argument whatsoever. It's, it's entirely possible to be the kind of Jew you are and still care about oppressed people. It's entirely yeah. possible to have a nuanced, interesting conversation about this. It's just harder to find people who actually want to have that conversation. Very true. Andrea, what is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you recently? Interesting question. Here's a thing that I turned this into a bit of stand-up that seemed to be going well till I realised it could be taken two ways. And <laughs> I did not love what happened then. But it was when we weren't in lockdown and we could get the bus. So when I get on the bus, it's a very, very crowded bus. I had a seat. And then a man gets on with his two children, right? And I get up because, you know, that's what you do. And obviously, who will play me in the movie of my incredible life? Because I'm so amazing. I got up for a man with two children. And so I get up and I look around. There's a seat, but it's got a bag on it. And there's a woman next to it. And it's her bag of shopping. Because, you know, sometimes people say, uh, are you British or are you Jewish? And you're like, it really depends what the situation requires. I have the privilege of being able to decide. So I'm mostly British in that I'm quite shy. I'm quite awkward. And I don't like being confrontational none of that is very Jewish and I walked up to this woman and I didn't say anything I just stood there because I thought that she would get it and she just looked at me and she just didn't do anything and I was like but that's not the rules and I didn't understand because the rules are you move your bag so I look around at everyone else and they're all like yeah of course like their eyes were telling me yeah this is terrible I don't know what you should do and I was like well I don't know what to do because we're all so polite so I did this I went <clears throat> and she just ignored it and looked out the window and at that point, my British Andrea just went away and my Jewish Andrea took over and I literally just sat on her bag. Yay! Um, I know. And she had eggs in her bag. It wasn't a full victory, but it was still a victory because I was just like, no, this is wrong, right? And obviously then I got up, she moved it. And I made my point. This was all done without any conversation. Now, I thought that that was a joke about how Jews are like bolshy, but it turns out quite a lot of people thought that was an occupation joke. And, <laughs> and I have to reword it because that's really not what I meant. But Amazing. I kind of understand why they thought that. But um, I think in that situation, that seat legitimately was mine. Although, you know, a lot 
lot of people might beg to differ we then go down a very different kind of a rabbit hole i love the fact that <clears throat> it's it's actually an entire paragraph it's a full sentence it's a full request and she knew it and everyone else knew it because we're all british but that's not the jewish way no the jewish way is like oh sorry your bag's on my seat but i love it i wish i was that confident our next guest is creative director at Rogo Productions. He is a BAFTA-winning producer who's developed shows for companies including Warner Brothers and Disney. His projects include Sky's animal game show Play Your Pets Right, BBC's Impractical Jokers, and Stacey Dooley Investigates for BBC Three. He also co-hosts the podcast Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. It's Howard Cohen. Hello, Yay. how are you guys doing? Yeah, yeah good, back good How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Got a bit of a hangover today, but you know, that's all right, isn't it? It's quite un-Jewish, a hangover. I was going to say, yeah, I only had half a shandy, but you know, that's enough for us people, isn't it? <laughs> I only uh, had a little cherry brandy. But no, I'm, I'm pretty good. Well, good to hear. Well, thank you for being with us this week. I hope my presence is not ruining it. No, it is you. ruining yeah. it. You are okay, ruining fine. it. I mean, let's, I mean just call it, let's just call it ruining. That's fine. Yeah, it's like um, when you go to watch a play and they go, oh, the, the, the star's going to be replaced by this guy that you don't know. And you're like, I wish I hadn't bothered anyway, other than that. For viewers who are just tuning in, the role of Philip Simon tonight will be played by Russell Bulkind. Uh, you'll find a little flimsy piece of paper in your programme um, with a, a bad <laughs> a collective sigh of mass disappointment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, a star was born that night. Oh, Honestly. is it like Showgirls? Did you push him down the stairs? <laughs> I mean... This is really much more yeah, fun. Very exciting. Much darker than you expected. But anyway, on with business. I'm sorry to get so personal so quickly, Howard. But it's all good, mate. What, what kind of Jew are you? Oh, a moany Jew, a very moany Jew. You know, I, I fit in that world of the, the Larry David complaining. I mean, I don't know what kind of Jew you're telling me that is. I say moany just because I'm I moan a lot. And some of the greatest people to come from our, our people moaned and then made it funny. I'm not at their level by any means. Don't put default... yourself down. No, I'm, look, I'm not Larry David or Jerry Seinfeld. Like, let's be honest. Shut up, of course you are. I can tell you that you can just give me anything. It's like, I've got this baby that I made with my wife and he's brilliant. But occasionally you just look at him and you go, you could be walking better by now, if I'm honest with you. But... Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you're like an unsatisfied Jew. It's like, give me anything. Tell me anything and I can find the floor. And that's just, I feel something that there is a, section of the Jewish populace that we have done that and made it into entertainment. The basis I mean, of most Jewish jokes, isn't it? The, yeah. the unsatisfied part. Mm. I think that yeah. comes from our time as slaves in Egypt. We got in the habit of whinging for 400 years. That's quite hard to snap out of. And then we slept through the desert moaning about everything. We moaned so often that would cause Moses to strike a rock instead yeah. of talking to it, which would have been a much more normal way of getting water. I get that and I respect that. Yeah. I am not that. What I just did was my wife just spent an exorbitant amount of money on new bed linen. And I've been complaining for the last half hour. It doesn't quite fit the duvet. So it's like too much pulling. I've got too much linen. And I'm, you sound I like, like really nightmarish problems. <laughs> this really is what I mean. It's not the desert, is it? It's probably Egyptian cotton, though. So that's somehow, <laughs> that's somehow to blame. Yeah, but it is interesting that, Rachel, you described it as schlepping through the desert for 40 years. It would have definitely already, been schlepping. That's already moaning. I mean, that's really re be rebranded. as We found ourselves in the desert for 40 years and grew as a nation, you know. No, but no it's it was it's 40 big... years of an entire nation of people focusing on one slightly elderly gentleman at the front going are we nearly there yet are we nearly there yet are we nearly that that was it i'm telling you i can't I see it i can't see canaan <laughs> <laughs> so howard 
What is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you recently? I went to the place I work. It's in Golders Green. The reason was to talk to this guy, a guy I work with, who just needed to have a chat with someone because he's been alone a lot recently. So I did a kind of, um, well, oh, here you go. What's the, what's the, what's a Jewish Yiddish word for trying to be a caring guy? I don't know what that is. I know lots Being of a Mensch. Being a mensch. You know what? I've tried to be a mensch and um, I then bought uh, 16 bagels, eight plain, eight poppy seed. Some of them are in the freezer. Thank you very much. Just to give some more context to this bagel scenario, listeners of the Jewish background uh, or not, where I live, I live in Hertfordshire, to get a bagel, and I'm talking the boiled, chewy goodness of a bagel, I've got to go to Golders, you know what I mean? So I'm in Golders Green for work. It's a big deal for me to get those those bagels, and I did. So big, that is, oh, that is as good as it gets for me. You get them at Carmelli's? Yeah. Yeah, of oh. course you did. Oh, <laughs> ho, 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 ho. I had one this morning with my hangover and it was... Mwah. Fair to say, if only from the deep and poignant subject matter that we've touched on thus far in the show, that we are living in challenging times. And, you know, as a bit of welfare, we always like to check in with our guests and ask, Andrea, what's the matter, Babala? I find people who are in love with their own opinions very stressful. And by that, I mean, like, the way, you know, in these troubled times, you kind of fall into these two camps. You're either like, I don't believe this exists, or I believe this exists, and everyone calls everyone else a complete idiot. And I guess what annoys me is this just like utter disregard for other people. It's like, I, I am pro-vax, super pro-vax. I would love to get them all, you know? I'm such a fan of no smallpox. I love it. Every day I wake up and I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to get smallpox. I think it's amazing. <laughs> I think scientists are incredible. I think science is amazing. And I've done enough research for myself to believe that I am on the side that is correct. However, I know plenty of people who are on a side that I personally believe is not correct. And I don't think it's okay to just like constantly label people as complete morons, but that's what people do. So I joined this truther group on Facebook and I'm not going to say the name of the group because I wasn't there to make fun of them. I was there to genuinely see if I could be persuaded because I don't think there's any point in just falling into one category. Anyway, my God, the things they call us, basically we're muzzled sheeple is what we are. They call us muzzles and it sounds like they're calling us muggles. It's quite funny, but it's also they're very serious. And then you get the other side of the people who think everyone else who thinks that way is a complete idiot. And it's like, we're not going to get anywhere if we keep calling each other idiots. And my theory is that it's not really about masks or pandemics or vaccinations. And I want to say to them, what are you really angry about? Is it your husband? Like, is he cheating on you? Are you filtering <laughs> his mask? Like, what's the problem? And then with the people who are like hating those people, it's like, okay, sure, get all the vaccinations, but it won't stop you being angry because it's not about that. What really bothers me is this, I think I, I just find passion disgusting. <laughs> I find passionate opinions disgusting. There should be room for thinking you might be wrong, even if you're on the side that is right, which is science. I think there should still be room for not calling other people names. Maybe their awareness of Jewish language is greater than you think. And the reason they call us muzzles is because they assume we're just relying on luck to uh, get through the pandemic. Oh God, yeah, no, it's not spelt that way, trust me. I was going to say, I always find the notion to Jews particularly of going, oh, you're just sheeple, you just follow one person or that one idea. And you're talking about schlepping through the desert for 40 years. It's like, yeah, that's exactly what we do. There's totally. that guy, he, he's got a massive stick and a really good beard. He's got some good ideas. 
ideas. Isn't that what anybody from a religion does? Muhammad, yeah. you know, Jesus, Moses, like we all like to follow one person who's got a great idea or an idea that sounds better than the one that came before. But that doesn't mean you can't ask questions. That doesn't mean you can't be wrong occasionally, you know? You know what's made it difficult? TED Talks. Now there's so many people with ideas. How do you know to follow? Well, exactly. I mean, maybe the trick is not to follow, but uh, that would be really hard because that would involve a lot more thought. So. <laughs> the internet validated the existence of every human being on the planet, Andrea. Mm. And uh, that has led to social media, which has led to the decline of all civilized reason debate on the planet. And I uh, think reason is so important and I find it so frustrating to see negative reason on both sides. You know, It's what I mean? like this, you know, just to kind of give a ex quick example. I could say to either of all three of you guys that I really personally don't believe in most of the religious side of our Jewish culture. I find that incredibly difficult to get my head around and, and, and be supportive of. Now, if I write that on Twitter to you, either of you, there is no way <laughs> I can do it in the way I just expressed it. You just would be crucified to yeah, and, and, better expression. <laughs> yeah, popular phrase. And uh, you guys now, if we met for a drink in a, a non-COVID-based world, you could sit and chew that over with me and we could just talk about it. And in the end, I may not change my mind, but maybe yeah, learn but it's something. it's a valid opinion. It's fair yeah, yeah. enough. But we can just engage in it, right? But the internet has completely screwed that up. We We can't engage people on a 360 degree set of foundations to to talk about upon really i mean i think Doesn't sometimes happen. i look at it and think we're so lucky to be part of a tribe even if we all hate each other we're part of the same tribe other people maybe don't have a tribe and then suddenly you find people who think like you and you're like okay fine i'm in a tribe now and that makes it suddenly okay to only have one opinion it's hmm. it's old to me you both have very valid points of view and um, so i probably have to follow you both now so thanks Howard, what's the matter with you, Bubbler? Where do you want me to start, Russell? <laughs> um, I mean, the fact that I've not got Philip Simon here is really grinding my gears. But other than that, yeah. I feel just to come on a show like this and get to talk to you guys, I just want to moan about what my wife's policy is on keeping the hummus out of the fridge. Oh, please um, do. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, so, you know, I buy hummus, guys. And do you know the best brand of hummus available in supermarkets? Do we all know what that is? I mean, I know what I quite... think it is. Is this objective or subjective? I mean, for, for me, it's pretty pretty simple what it is but let's see what you guys think all right i'm going to tell you it's sabra oh yeah, i hate it it's that's my second best hummus that's mm. the best you can get in most average supermarkets so i buy this hummus and my wife will often take it out of the fridge and go and eat it in a, in a living space other than the kitchen and what happens is the outer coating layer of the hummus will often harden yeah. uh, because she's left it out of the fridge for too long and it's lidless and yeah. who knows what else could get in there by the way i've got a child who's got god knows what going on he's probably got worse than covid and it's this kind of hummus breeding ground for diseases going on i still like the hummus they want to eat the hummus the worst bit of it all isn't just the fact that she leaves the hummus out and then i have this kind of like diseased hummus it's the fact that i have to tell my wife you left the hummus out again feels like she's a very very reckless human that's a she's, crazy thing to do do you know what it is she's a posh white person so they they live like that that's how they are oh it's like oh i left the lid off no big deal we'll just buy another one yeah there was probably a butler who came and got that when she was a kid but now it's <laughs> me, now it's me now it's jewish butler jews whatever you want to call me <laughs> so that's what's been winding me up russell it's just i walk into the living uh, room beautiful scene of my wife and child and then it's just that hummus you're pushing on an open door. I mean, I live very much in a house which has got rusty hummus because <laughs> the lid 
and left off. And what are you supposed to do with that? Do you scrape, well, do you know off, what? scrape the top layer off and go underneath? Genuinely, I mean, Russell. I mean, I love this woman, arguably more than anything in the world, actually, other than maybe the, the son. I was going to say, I'm don't you let the kid. Yeah, the kid's good. I, I've got more reasons potentially to love my wife, but he will maybe take over at some point. You've but known her longer. Yeah, and, you know, she offers more. But I was actually thinking at one point, Russell, I might start a hummus separate lifestyle. So this is my hummus, that's your hummus. Do what you want with your hummus, wife. I love you. You know, enjoy your hummus. Leave it out all day if you want. Put it out in the sun. I don't care. <laughs> don't touch my hummus. You're um, going to be I, one of those couples who has his and hers hummus. Because we also have, and I think I mentioned this to Rachel recently, six months into my relationship with my wife, we agreed that we would never share a bed again because I ruin her sleep every night. So we are able to separate some things in our relationship. Hummus might be the next thing. So separate hummus, separate beds. Do you call each other mother and father? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, it's just an interesting thing that we would never have stayed together. I literally move around so much in my sleep physically that the cat even gets sick of sharing the bed with me. The cat's looking at me and I can just see it going, will you just stay still? I don't know why I move around so much. I think maybe I'm dying. We're all dying. <laughs> <laughs> Super Jewish. I, I regularly do that with my wife. I, I tell her, oh, I really feel there's something wrong with my stomach. And she'll be like, what do you think it is? And I was like, well, I think I might, I might be dying, actually. So, uh, sad news. The hummus <laughs> thing would be the one that caused the split, I think, in this house. Seriously, my inner moniker is just plutzing now. Because we've mentioned it before, Russell lives in the same road as me. So the idea that there's open-lidded hummus on the street right. has made me very, very stressed. I'm just going to put this out there, mainly for Howard. I'm offering 10% of the equity for this. But how about hummus and hermus? <laughs> so bad and so good at the same time. Andrea's on board. Andrea's yeah, on yeah. board. That's great. Okay, yeah. Let me work. Let me let me do some I numbers, agree. Russell. I'll come back to you. Hummus, 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 hummus. Let's call the whole. I was trying to. You could. Yeah. No. I'm going to write a whole advertising campaign, mate. I'm in. Sometimes my wife dips crisps with too strong a flavour in the hummus and it really... What? That is very weird. Yeah, it gets to me. I'm genuinely worried for your relationship. I have yeah, to do you know what? It's actually quite nice to come here and talk about it. Because I, whenever I go to a party and I make like a dip, I always make guacamole because it's the one thing I'm really good at and I'm obsessed with it. And it's and just I'll, avocado, I'll always... basically. Yeah, yeah. So, well, no, it's avocado plus some spices, Howard. And uh, I'll always make yeah, two. Yeah, I'll make yeah. one for everyone and one for me because I really don't want to knock them up for me. And yeah. everyone knows this and they always expect it. They're like, all right, this one's yours and this one's for everyone. And it's like, yeah, I'll right. always make everyone one slightly bigger. You're like Alan Partridge with his big plate. Yeah. <laughs> now, my relationship is perfectly fine. I must stress to listeners just because, you know, I, I know there's people out there who are looking for people and I, I'm not going to be available anytime. <laughs> you, you don't want this anyway. Um, but my wife is you genuinely... So yeah, you don't you know, my anyway, mum yeah. is a shadchan. She's a matchmaker. <laughs> At this point in the show, she'll be writing notes down in her special yeah, yeah, list. She'll just put Howard Cohen and then she'll put maybe? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> he's a Cohen. He's a, he's a high priest. You could command a good female for that one. I could never not be with my wife. She is the oh. happiest person in the world. She smiles no matter what. If you find that person, you've got to stay with them forever. You sound very lucky. Yeah, it's a, well, it's a miracle. It really is a Jewish miracle that I found that woman, to be honest with you. I went through 78 internet dates to find her. Different women, a number of which were actually Jews, actually. I went on J-Day for a period of time because a friend of mine said that you should try your own people. Nobody else seems to like you. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> I went on J Day, and um, I think I went on nine dates with Jewish women. Don't do names; we probably know them. <laughs> yeah, probably our cousins. Two of them returned to my flat, and one of them turned out to be insane. That was quite interesting. <laughs> oh, I'm oh, just going to quickly tear the script up because this is very interesting. <laughs> I'm just saying, like a man calls a woman insane, I'll have need to be there before I'm going to believe him over her. Let me tell. Let me let you. You be the judge, and if All I'm right. wrong. I apologise. If I'm wrong, I apologise, okay? <laughs> All right. Meet a girl for a drink, have a nice drink, walk her to the train station because I'm a gent, and we had a kiss. I said, by the way, I'm, I'm going to Edinburgh for a month because I was producing a show up there. <laughs> uh, I said to her, look, why don't you come up? You know, we got along. I was like, why don't you come up? She did, uh, which I was, <laughs> I was like, blimey. Well, she's clearly interested, isn't she? That's quite something. We spent the weekend together. You know, this kind of went on and off for a while. It was never really seemed to be going anywhere. And, and then I came back one night to her. She lived on a boat, actually, which makes this even better. And... <laughs> And, and so I turned up at her house and she said to me, look, I can't keep doing this. We're either going to be in this relationship or we're not. And I was like, I, okay, I don't know. Let's give it a go. Sure. And then she made me sign this piece of paper. What did it say on the paper? It basically said that I had to be with her for six months from that point on. And at the end of that six months, if it was working, there we go. Okay, I've got the exact wording in front of me if you want me to oh, read it. Yes, Howard. You 100% want you to read it. I had, yeah. Howard F. Cohen has to agree. I'm not going to say her name because she... No, what's your middle name? name? Uh, Frederick. I had to agree to uh, no comebacks if it doesn't work. So <laughs> <laughs> The second point, and look, you can see this is real. Right? It was the whole package, which is in six months. We had to quickly get married, live together, holidays, respect each other's families, children, and help if I'm choking. Uh, I don't know why that was added to the list. But, um, and look, I've got to tell you, I'll be honest with you, I signed that. Now, you signed that? Yeah, but that night, when, I was like, this is clearly not a relationship. And, that, and I literally uh, left the boat and never saw her again. How would I stand corrected? A very, very important question. And I want you to give it thought before you answer. <laughs> How did she treat her hummus? Yeah, oh, good question. <laughs> you know what? It was it was not a clean boat, and I and she never cooked for me once in all the time I spent with her. Well, Rid. Mum, if you listen to this, because my mum will probably want to listen to this because it's Jewish. I hope you're proud. At least I'm honest. You know what's worse? It's Philip's mum will be listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what the question was. Now was it hummus? A Jewish mother, I've thoroughly enjoyed the fact that 90% of our conversation so far has focused on food, specifically hummus and bagels, two mm. of my favourites. But I'd love to hear whether either of you have a particular memory that is attached to Jewish food or something that happened on an occasion where you sit down to a Jewish meal. What about you, Andrea? Well, I grew up in a kind of a, a half kosher household. My dad sort of didn't give uh, monkeys because he was brought up completely differently to my mum, who was brought up with religion. So I wasn't allowed to have non-kosher stuff but it was sort of enforced sort of strangely so I used to go to these little parties and I came home one day or I think I was really young and I was like mum you've got to get these tiny sausages they're amazing they're so great they're like little cocktail sausages and they come on sticks and she's like oh my god she freaked out 
and she's like you must never ever eat them again and I was like okay and the next party I went to I was just like I really want one so I had one but then I'm so guilty I just confessed everything to her and I got in loads of trouble <laughs> mom I had a sausage and it was amazing I'm really sorry and she was so angry with me and I never really understood I said I mean I still don't eat pork but it was the anger I got it because it's a differentiator and I get that but it was so delicious man like <laughs> I've dreamed of it ever since and I've never had one again ever but I, I remember how good it tasted so that's not really a Jewish food story <laughs> it's kind of the opposite it's an anti-Jewish yeah, food story yeah. It was the last time I had pork apart from all my friends used to find it such a fun game. Like, let's see if Andrea will eat pork. Let's see if Andrea will eat prawns. Come on, it's so delicious. They want to be the first one to give you the pork or the prawns. <laughs> so, Howard, what about you? Well, guys, you know what? I think about this question. It's interesting because I, I would say that my identity as a Jew is fundamentally based on my relationship with the food and family and friends. It's powerful. My mother, the first time she ever cooked for my dad's parents, my grandparents, grandparents both passed away now and I never really knew them cook goulash I don't know if anyone knows how to cook goulash but mm -hmm. you need a bouquet garni little bag of herbs that you put in it and yeah. my mum cooked a goulash served it up forgot to take the bouquet garni bag out and my grandfather Harry Cohen was too polite didn't want to upset my mum and sat there chewing a bouquet garni bag <laughs> uh, so sweet and, and that's that love that is so that, that is love. I think one of the most amazing things about Judaism is, is our response to death and shivers and Jewish funerals. I've been to too many of them. I'm sure like a lot of you guys, you know, you go to too many of these things. Kind of certain things that really resonate. My dad's best friend, a guy called Bobby, who passed away a number of years ago. I went to visit him in hospital. I just talked to him about football for most of it. And then towards the end, he was talking to his wife saying, you know, he, he didn't think he was, he was right. He didn't think he was going to get out of there. And he sadly proved right. And I remember he was just saying to me, oh God, all, all I want to do is get out of here and just go home and have a cheese bible. Every time I have a cheese bible now, I feel like I'm paying a tribute to our dear family friend, Bobby. So there's my Jewish food story. That's, that's really beautiful. About 20 years ago, I was very, very ill and I was in hospital for a long time. And my family were very anxious about the fact that I wasn't going to eat properly in hospital. They did provide kosher meals, but also they'd bulk bought one kosher meal. So constantly being given white fish in a watery parsley sauce <laughs> with mashed potatoes and stringy green beans. And that was really dreadful. That was like twice a day. So they started bringing me in food. And at first, like I was really grateful and it was really nice. But I ended up with like a food mountain by my bed because my auntie would come and she'd bring me chopped liver sandwiches and at one point a vacuum packed whole roast chicken. And oh, um, so nice. my other auntie came and she brought tubs of gefilte fish. I mean, this is not ill person in hospital food, I should say. I'm hoping the refrigeration scenario was solid here, right? No, nothing. It was terrible. <laughs> it was just like, they were just, it was just piling up on my bedside cabinet. Normally you end up with loads of chocolate and loads of fruit. And then you say, I'll just give it to the nurses. Chopped liver sandwiches. Would you like, imagine explaining that to somebody. It's impossible. Would you like my gefilte fish? What is it? Maybe smell it and see what you think. Dealing with yeah. that food was harder than being ill. Because also it was really embarrassing because yeah. what does it say about you that you've got enough food to feed 30 people every day fresh supplies coming in every day everyone who came to see me brought like a whole meal it shows that you have people who love you because that's how Jews show love. I think that's the really interesting thing about food in Judaism is that it's like so rooting and grounding for so many reasons. 
there's the thing like Bobby's, he just wants a bagel and we all have that. But then the same thing is like in times of crisis where it's like in Coronation Street where they're like, oh, I'll put the kettle on. In Judaism, it's like, oh, I'll just cater for 40 people. I, I tell you, Russell, I never knew what love really was until I watched my mother feed a bottle of chicken soup to my six-month-old son. The look, the look on her face as she did that, I was like, nah. Andrew, you mentioned sort of being told off about your mum about consuming sausages at parties. And broigases and arguments tend to be quite a common occurrence in Jewish families. You know, whether it's bagel or bagel, and I kept my counsel on that because it's definitely bagel. It's definitely bagel. Definitely, the screen I mean, is literally bagel. split down the middle because you've got two Essex Jews. We're like, bagel. Where are you from, Russell? Manchester via Johannesburg. So oh, hey, well, not Johannesburg, yeah. originally somewhere out like small town South Africa, but yeah, London, Johannesburg. Oh, amazing. So and it's definitely bagel. So what we're, we're asking is whether either of you have a favourite feud that has gone on in your family over the years. <laughs> I mean, Howard's laughing. I'm tempted to go to Howard first. I probably don't need to say this, but proper feuds, proper broikuses that last years. We don't need to be digging into that on this, no. Uh, no. this podcast. We totally Where, love to. Uh, yeah, it's a different show called Broigus, which we can definitely start if you guys want. <laughs> it's like it's like a true crime thing, but just nothing ever gets solved in any way. And it's just a true crime thing then, really, isn't it? But the thing I was going to talk about was the mini Broigus that happened, which we actually still talk about. I think it happened, must have been about 10 years ago now, maybe a bit less. Christmas Day, uh, which we, you know, partake in. We don't talk about that bloke that rose and died, but we just get on with some presents and some fun, you know. I think my nephew, who probably was about seven or eight at the time, went play football. And uh, he must have been about a yard away from me when this ball bounced up. And I was there, like, ready as the goalkeeper. And he smashed it into my face so hard, so cold. The ball was like a rock. And it smashed my glasses. It, like, literally, my glasses just exploded into about five different pieces. And uh, I then said the immortal words, oh, you little which wasn't very Christmassy. It was a big problem, basically, because that whole day, it was the fact that I insulted my eight-year-old nephew for breaking my glasses. How uh, old were you at the time? Old enough to know better, I'll tell you that much. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, he, he still talks about it because it, it, it was such a memorable moment of, like, he didn't get upset. He did it deliberately. And, I, and this is the reason there's Bruegers, because I know that the moment he kicks the ball, he must be aware that the only, there's no, it's so close to me. You are still so angry. The only place this ball, is my, <laughs> the only place this ball can go is my face. So he's like, what are you thinking? The only reason you're doing this is just to hit me in the face. Or you're happy to break my glass. I drive home like, holding one of my glasses like a monocle <laughs> to go and get my spare pair of glasses. Anyway, that, I, I've let it go, as you can tell. Uh, <laughs> How old is he now? He's turning 18 next year. So this is 10 years you've been holding About 10 years. This. I'm just an idiot, I guess. Always a good I'm way sorry. to end every story, isn't it? Just say, I'm an idiot. <laughs> 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 well, Howard said it's right. My family has got a million feuds running through it. Some have been resolved. Some go on and on and on. I have been a bridesmaid many, many, many times. And it's always for my South African cousins. And every time you go and they 
unveil the dress to you and you're like why like why <laughs> do I have to dress like a sailor girl I'm 16 or why do I have to wear pink and burgundy and gold I'm 23 like you know what I mean? I'm not mm -hmm. 90 and part of me is like are you all just trying to make us look much much worse than you so you look better but they're not those kinds of girls they're all lovely my cousins and I I never understood why it always had to be the ugliest thing in the world. And so I've never fully enjoyed being a bridesmaid because I've always looked absolutely repulsive every single time. I've got all these photos and they're like, oh, wasn't it a lovely day? And I was like, not for me, to be honest. Like, <laughs> you look divine, you look divine. Oh, uh, absolutely <laughs> divine. I cannot believe how good you look in that terrible dress that's so badly made because we got your measurements all wrong. And you know, it doesn't matter, but thank God you got flat shoes with white tucks because honestly, why would you want to look attractive? Why? You know? <laughs> So yeah, I think bridesmaids dresses from South African cousins, please don't let any of them listen to this. They're all very sweet. We have got a large listenership in South Africa. No, so you can't don't. make any guarantees. No, you, you do. Do you really? <laughs> yeah, seriously. No. Guys, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> but don't make me wear that sailor dress again. <laughs> <laughs> my South African cousins, bless them, I adore them. But a lot of times, fashion-wise and style-wise, they have a very different idea mm. uh, to me about what looks excellent and what looks horrifying. Bridesmaids are an ongoing thing, I think. That's not just, it's not unique to South Africa. I was, it's not. But the last time I got asked by the very last cousin, I, I said no. I said no. I did. I've never said no before. Because of the dress? Well, because of the anticipation of what the dress would be like. Because she said, you can all buy your own, but it has to be nude with black. And I was like, nope, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm too old. I'm not doing it. And so I just said to her, sorry, I'm really insecure at the moment. I was just like, I cannot go to another wedding where I don't look awesome. So we all know each other, well, you've just met Russell for the first time, but we know each other from the comedy circuit. Although as we've discovered today, Howard and I both originate in Essex and Russell and Andrea, you have your origins in South Africa. Apart from the three of us, who is your most interesting Jewish personal connection? Andrea, what about you? My gran, um, when she moved into her little retirement village, she moved in with her like oldest friend in the world, this woman called Lily Mervis. And she was always talking about Lily because my gran, like, she loved her friends, but that meant she bitched about them constantly. She hated Lily Mervis as much as she loved her because Lily banged on a lot about her cousin, Sid James, who was one of us, a South African Jew. So was Lily and so was my gran, all dead now. So <laughs> that's a end of story. And I'll tell you, <laughs> the Amy Winehouse one is funny because when I was in my 20s and we were all going out a lot, it was around the time when she was really big. And I kept bumping into her. She kept recognising me and going, Oi, that's that Jew girl. And I was like, hi, Amy. <laughs> the name's like, Oi, Jew, come over here. We know each other. <laughs> it just made me laugh. She was an absolute delight. Filthy and delightful. Yeah, I'd like, have loved to have been Amy Winehouse's Jew girl. Well, I wasn't her Jew girl. It's just, I think we met three or four times where she was like, Oi, that's that Jew journalist. Come over here. Because I was a journalist at the time. We'd always have a lovely little chat. But um, yeah, I was, I was pretty gutted. And then when I was doing comedy at the Cavendish not too long ago, I bumped into this girl who was on my Israel tour. She was the sweetest girl. <laughs> um, her name was Reva. And she her surname is now Winehouse because she married Amy's brother. Really funny because I started telling the story because she was a sweet gun. I always thought it was a really funny story. Obviously, I wouldn't want to offend anyone, but the brother was there too, and they were like, Yep, yeah, sounds like her. Yeah, that's exactly who she is. I just loved her. I thought she was a delight. I yeah. agree. Anyway, those are my two. Mm. Very good. <laughs> They're both awesome. So, what about you, Howard? You okay. did say you had a really good one, Howard. 
So I have a very, very, very personal Jewish connection to a very, very um, wonderful Jewish person that we probably all know for one reason, and that is the lovely song, Walking Back to Happiness, which I'm sure many of you have heard, the listeners, yes. uh, Russell, Andrea, Rachel, you all know Walking Back to Happiness. If you don't, you're a disgrace to the Jewish population. Sorry. It's a great song. <laughs> I sing it. Walking back to happiness. Oh, yeah, yeah. Little little history lesson for Andrea, who has missed out on this, which is that I feel terrible. Jewish pop stars from Britain. We're not talking about a particularly extensive list. In the I think it's the early sixties, out of East London in Hackney, where my family originally from, and then they moved to Essex, where I grew up. A young girl called Helen Shapiro found stardom in a way that is almost kind of unheard of now. My dad when Helen was on a program called This Is Your Life, which many people remember, some younger list listeners might not. Helen was on This Is Your Life and my dad told a story about the first time Helen got up and sang in public. It was a youth club that my dad used to run and Helen got up, they turned the music off, Helen got up and sang in, and my dad said that everyone just went quiet. Helen Amazing. had this incredible voice. And so Helen then recorded a number of songs and Walking Back to Happiness was this one song that absolutely like massive hit. There is a, a picture when you walk into Helen's house of the day at the Palladium where she headlined just below her was a little band called The Beatles. You know, Helen is a dear family friend. My dad's best friend uh, was Ronnie Shapiro, Helen's brother. And when I got married a few years ago, even though my wedding was as, as un-Jewish as you can imagine, we had the congregation sing two songs and we had a couple of people who could sing come up and lead the songs. The first song was uh, Must Be Love by uh, Madness, a couple of my friends sung. And then for the second song, we got um, uh, Helen and her cousin, who's also a great singer, a lady called Sue Heckman, dear friend of ours. And they sung Stand By Me and everyone joined in and my friend played on guitar. So Helen Shapiro sung on my wedding, then that is my definite, definite best link to the, the best Jewish people uh, I've ever known. Well, that's lovely. That is awesome. Wow. I love that song. Her voice is just incredible. You want to know a, a really rare, this is like the most niche reference. I could, I could look at Russell thinking, well, I wonder if Russell might know what I'm talking about here, but she married an actor called John, who I'm, I'm friendly with. Oh, I know and John. John. Yeah. <laughs> and John Judd has many roles in his career, but the best role he ever had was as, as the security guard in the film Scum uh, with Ray Winston, which is a wow. very yeah. funny, and, and there's a really terrible guard who's a bald, you know, shaved, bald-headed yeah, guy. Yeah. And uh, that is Helen Shapiro's husband. I think maybe the second time Helen has been mentioned as a guest, Six Degrees of Can't Eat Bacon. Mm. We had Steve Jameson on a few weeks ago, who also grew up in Hackney. And I might be getting this wrong. We'll have to check. No, you're tapes. completely right. Um, yeah. And he, Steve and Mark Bolan and Helen were all friends and they all grew up together. And they had a band together in school, I think. Let me go one further with my story. I'll, I'll make this one short. So my dad was a character and he uh, did many questionable things with his life. But the, the one story he always tells is this night where he's running this club in Hackney, this, this you know, where everyone's having coffee and whatever they did back in that time. And these boys come in and start causing trouble. So my dad tells his mate, Ronnie, right, keep an eye open. We're going to have to get tasty in a second here. So it kicks off and he starts fighting these, you know, these kids to kick them out of the club. And um, 
One of them jumps on his back and it all gets really stupid. And then someone picks up this kid that's on my dad's back and just puts him out a window. So a first floor, so he doesn't, doesn't hurt himself. They just pick this kid up and they just, the windows open. They just pop him, quick way of getting him rid of this kid. That kid turns out to be T-Rex's Mark Bolan. There wow. And, uh, my dad would always love the fact that he threw Mark Bolan out a window. Now, that's nearly all we've got time for, but how will our audience know what you're up to if you never call and you don't write? So this is your chance to tell our lovely audience where they can find you. Normally, we'd allocate 20 seconds to do this, but for you, 30. Andrea. Uh, you can come and watch my show week on nextupcomedy.com or you can come to my website andreahubert.com which will be the host of my mental health comedy blog We Ruin Everything which will be launching in January. My Twitter is Shut Up Andrea which was recommended by one of my nephews, the one I like the least. <laughs> no, I like them both equally, they're both gorgeous. Yeah, but if they break your glasses, mate, change your mind. <laughs> anyway, your turn, Howard. Oh, is it my turn? Oh, right. Three things, people. Three things, if you want to know anything about me. One, the podcast Dane Baptiste questions everything I do with the much revered, highly celebrated, highly cerebral Dane Baptiste. We have a different guest on every week and we question everything. Come and listen to my podcast. It's genuinely a decent show. Second thing, go on Sky and you'll find different programs that I've developed or produced. There's two Urban Myths, uh, which is a lovely series. One is about David Bowie and Mark Bolan. That's worth a watch. And then the most recent one, which I developed and was directed and written by Sue Perkins. It's got Catherine Ryan in it. It's very good. It's all about Barbara Streisand and also Joan Rivers because they were in an off-Broadway play together, which most people never knew. It was decent, yeah. But the thing that I always want to tell people to go and find, if you've got Sky, track down my show, Play Your Pets Right, it is the genuinely, of all the things I'll ever do in my life, to make a game show for pets that pets actually enjoyed doing is just, I still think the funniest thing, I, I think about it every day, honestly, because I don't know if I'm ever going to crack anything that makes me as happy as that show. So there you go. There's a load of junk to go and look at. Nice. Well, I've absolutely loved this. And from now on, I'll always think of Howard as the Jew who introduced us to his and hers hummus and Andrea as the Jew who always brings her own guacamole, just in case. <laughs> I'm happy with that. Yeah, Thank result, right? That's a result. Yeah, it's, it's the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me as a Jew. As Philip's grandmother always used to say when she wanted to end phone calls with him, you must have better things to do than talk to me. And you must have better things to do than talk to us, which is a good thing, as sadly we've come to the end of this week's show. We'd like to thank our guests, Andrew Hubert and Howard Cohen. Follow them on social media. Follow us on social media at Jew Talking without the G. Don't forget to share, subscribe and review the podcast and join us next time on Jew Talking to Me. Jude Talking to Me was hosted by me, Rachel Krieger. And me, Philip Simon. It was produced by Russell Falcon. Oh, what a great episode. I love the bit about his and hers hummus, but surely they should be called hummus and hummister. Hummister.